What has power in our world today um, as our culture continues to spiral into greater and greater evil, um, as church institutions crumble, um, when children are murdered and abused? What, what can stop this rampant wickedness? And what can stop us or save us from our own failures, our own sickness? Is there anything strong enough to resist the powers of evil? There is, um, and it is the power of the gospel. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Often when we see the wickedness of our time, we're tempted to run to all sorts of different other things to save us. Um, we're even tempted to look to ungodly leaders, or we can think that maybe as Christians we need to compromise our convictions because the stakes are too high. But we need to be reminded of the secret of our power. Um, we don't fight against flesh and blood, and we don't fight with the weapons of flesh and blood. Instead, we have the greatest power of the universe on our side, the power of the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to see that the, each of these three stories that we'll read in Luke chapter 4 is meant to show us something about the gospel's power. And so if you would, if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 31, and we are going to read to the end um, of the chapter. And so if you um, are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, where he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about him went throughout every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all who had, and all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one and took them and healed them. And demons also came out of many of them, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them, would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed, went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would be here this morning. Um, Lord, that it would not be um, my own words that are preached, but that we would preach the power of the gospel and your gospel, the same thing that Jesus came to say. Lord, I ask that the power of the gospel would be felt in our midst this morning. Lord, we also come and, and we, like Simon's mother-in-law's family. We, we come to you and we plead on the behalf of Derek, who's just had a stroke. Lord, we, we ask that you would rebuke the sickness and that you would heal him. We ask that you would uh, be near and you would comfort and you would touch his family as they um, struggle and are afraid and the future is unknown. 
Lord, we know that you are the God that has the power to rebuke all disease and bring healing, and we ask that you would. And even if you don't, we still ask that you would be near and that you would help in whatever way you deem best. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Our first point, the first place in your bulletins, the first place that the gospel has power is we see that the gospel has power over demons. The gospel has power over demons. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he is going to cast out many demons. Jesus is going to heal the sick. Jesus is going to work tremendous miracles. And he does this partially to show that he is God. But this is not the whole story. See, Jesus is going to cast out a lot of demons. And Jesus is going to heal a lot of people. But the point of all of those stories is not just that Jesus has authority over demons, right? I mean, that's a theological, that's a biblical truth. But often I think the author is trying to show us something different. Otherwise, why would they tell us story after story of healing and story after story of demons being cast out? And why would the gospel writers arrange the stories in a different order? Now, I think it's because each of these stories has its own unique significance. Otherwise, why mention so many of them? So let's look at this passage, verse 31. So he goes down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So Jesus leaves Nazareth. He goes to another small city. And once again, he is teaching on the Sabbath in the, in, on the Sabbath inside the synagogue. And all of these three stories we see here, they're all around Jesus proclaiming the gospel. Each of them takes place near a synagogue. Each of them seem to have to do with Jesus' teaching. Verse 43, it closes the chapter with a summary, really, and tells us that Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And they're all astonished by Jesus' teaching. And not just because he has authority, but because his word possessed authority. Luke, particularly here, he wants us to see it's not just Jesus who has authority, but his word. And his word is the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus has authority not just because of who he is, but also because of what he preaches. And so this particular story, it's not just about the authority and power of Jesus. It's also about the power of the gospel, the power of the good news of the kingdom of God. And the first thing that we are to see about Jesus as he begins his ministry is that the gospel has power over demons. And not just demons of the demonically possessed, but he has power over the whole demonic realm. Verse 33, and in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out in a loud voice. So in the middle of Jesus' teaching, his sermon, he gets interrupted. I usually get interrupted by a train, but Jesus gets interrupted by demons. I mean, can you imagine if that happened in the middle of the service? I don't know what any of us would do. And the demon speaks, and 34 says, ha, what, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This demon acknowledges who God is. This demon understands what Jesus' own hometown last week misunderstood. And the question here, what have you to do with this? I don't think it's a taunt. It seems to be said almost out of fear and quivering. It's begging, hey, Jesus, leave us alone. It's like, hey, hey, what did I do to you? Go away, please. This is why they ask if Jesus has come to destroy them. Have you come to destroy us? They know exactly who Jesus is, and they want to be left alone. 35, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. I love that Jesus tells that demon to shut up. 
and the demon's silent. It doesn't speak again for the rest of the story. All it can do is it throws down the man and protest. But even that grand display of the demon has proved to be no more powerful than a toddler's tantrum. And the man's not harmed because Jesus will not allow it. And the demon's hold is completely broken. 36, and they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Again, notice Luke emphasizes the word. It is the words of Jesus that have power. Jesus commands with merely his word and his voice. He doesn't need elaborate shows or extravagant displays like some kind of magician. He just speaks and he preaches. The gospel itself has power and it can command demons to flee their strongholds. 37, and reports about him went out to every place to the surrounding region. So the word of Jesus, it continues to spread all throughout the countryside and everyone wants to talk about Jesus. What do we do today about demons? I mean, we might acknowledge that Jesus and the gospel have power over them in first century Israel, but what about today? I mean, our modern world has little time for demons unless they're in our horror movies. I believe in the existence of demons. I believe that demons are still active in the world today, and I don't mean in far-off places somewhere else. I mean here in our community. I see no Bible verse that explains that the demons are gone forever from our world. In fact, I don't know if you can make sense of our world without it. When we think of demons, too often we just think of demonic possession or exorcism. But today, demons can steal, kill, and destroy without all of that. They don't need to. I mean, today there are wolves. They masquerade as shepherds. They distort the Bible and their power in order to sexually abuse men, women, and children. Is that not demonic? I mean, in Ukraine, their civilians intentionally targeted and bombed. Women are raped, killed, and their children are stolen from them so an old man can look at a map and see his territory increase. Is that not demonic? There are men who beat their wives and their children. Is that not demonic? In our world, there's pedophiles, sex traffickers, those who turn children into soldiers, serial killers, racists, false prophets, genocides, and holocausts. Are not these and many more demonic? There's so much evil in our world. And I'm not saying that all of these people are possessed by demons, but I'm saying I believe demons are real and there is far more than we know that is demonic. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us our adversary the devil, he pours around like a roaring lion seeking somewhere to devour. Ephesians 6.11 tells us the devil schemes against us. 1 Timothy 3.7 tells us he sets snares to entrap us. Hebrews 2.14 tells us he has the power of death. And Revelation 2.10 tells us that he can send Christians to prison. So the powers of sin, darkness, and demons trying to destroy God's creation. And yet, Jesus already beat Satan in the wilderness. And there's nothing that the gospel can't conquer. There's nothing the gospel can't redeem. And the demonically possessed are not destroyed. They are set free to worship Jesus. The Bible doesn't give us a handbook on how to get rid of demons, but it does give us Jesus. It gives us the gospel. And the gospel conquers evil on its own. It doesn't need our help. It doesn't need our expertise. We don't have to run to the rulers of the world to save us. We don't have to use the pragmatic strategies of the world to grow the kingdom of God. We only need the gospel and the power of Jesus. And the power of Jesus is not simply to just free the possessed. It's the power that the gospel has over all evil over every last demonic power and every last demonic stronghold. One day all of it will be cast out of our world and into the lake of fire. 
And hell is not a place where demons get to rule and reign. It is a place where they are punished by God. So no, there really is truly demonic evil in the world, but it's nothing that we have to be fearful of or be anxious about. It's nothing we have to obsess over. We don't have to pour over news trying to track its movements like the enemy on a map during World War II. It's something we can just know the gospel conquers. So we can behold the wickedness of the world and we can see the demonic throw its captives to the ground and we can know that the gospel wins. We can know that Jesus sets every captive free and Jesus will conquer every demonic stronghold. So have hope. The gospel has power over demons and all evil, but what can the gospel do other than get rid of evil? What does the gospel do for us? Point number two in your bulletins is that the gospel has power to heal. The gospel has power to heal. Part of the essence of the gospel is to heal and restore. Salvation always involves the raising of the dead. We are born again. We are given new life. What the locusts of sin have destroyed in us, Jesus heals and makes new. And Jesus heals so often in his ministry. And part of the reason he does this is to show us and to demonstrate that the gospel has power to heal and to restore us. All of us, including our physical bodies. We're not just offered salvation when we die one day, but salvation here and now. Look at verse 38. And he arose and he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. Luke assumes we know who Simon is because he doesn't introduce him. Okay, and this is Simon Peter's mother-in-law. This might have been Peter's first interaction with Jesus. And Jesus stands up after teaching and proclaiming the gospel, and then he continues his gospel work by going to Simon's house to visit his mother-in-law. And she has a high fever. And we don't know what kind of infectious or infection or sickness she had. We just know they couldn't do anything about it. And he needed Jesus. And so they plead to Jesus. They ask him to help. And what does Jesus do? So you say, well, sorry, the gospel only saves souls. Can't do anything about your body. Or does he say, no, I'm too busy. I'll, I'll see if I can get around to it. No, 39, and he stood over her and he rebukes the fever. And it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Jesus simply speaks and the fever leaves. Same voice that spoke the world into existence out of nothing. The same voice that told the demon to leave now tells the fever to get out. And the fever leaves immediately. And she rises up and begins to serve. That might seem kind of strange at first. I mean, it might seem like this poor thing just recovers, and now she's got to get back to work. But it's actually, it's a mini picture of how we're supposed to respond to the gospel. In response to the salvation, in response to the healing that Jesus brings, she serves out of love and gratefulness. And just as we, having received the free gift of salvation from God that we did not deserve, we too respond to serving out of love. Verse 40, now when the sun was setting, all those who had any were sick with various diseases were brought to him. And he laid his hands on every single one of them and healed them. You can imagine, as soon as Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, all of the sick come to see Jesus. Everyone on death's door, everyone who's had a headache that won't go away, those who've had some sickness that no doctor's been able to diagnose, they all come running to Jesus to be healed. And you notice it mentions that this happens when the sun was setting. I said, well, why does Luke mention that detail? Well, remember, this is on the Sabbath. He's just finished teaching in the synagogue. And by the time the sun sets on the Sabbath every day, everyone's got to be back in their homes. So even though the sun is setting, the clock is ticking before everyone's got to get there, they're all running as fast as they can to get to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus lays his hands on every single one of them. Jesus doesn't say time is running out. 
Jesus doesn't turn a single person away. He spends time with every single individual. He doesn't rush them through the line. I was briefly um, interning on staff at a mega church with over 10,000 people, and one of the things I would see um, is sometimes after service, the senior pastor would come down and let people in the foyer, you know, shake his hand. But there was always an entourage around, kind of off to the side. It's a mix of security guards, other, you know, really important people on staff, and part of their job was to keep people moving through the line. It was also to make sure they, they would catch somebody so they don't waste his time. Or if there's somebody who's going to be really needy or talk to them too much, they could kind of get them out and move them somewhere else. I don't think that's how this line was with Jesus. It sounds like Jesus was there until the last ray of sunshine was left in the sky. And he was going to spend time with every single person before he went home. They all get time with Jesus. And instead, Jesus reaches out and touches them. He touches many who would have been ceremonially unclean. But his touch makes them clean. There's no disease that Jesus can't heal. There's no person so dirty that Jesus can't make them clean, and all of them are touched by the healing hands of Jesus. Now, I do need to make an important clarification here. The gospel does heal. The gospel does restore, and the gospel does promise that all sickness will be healed, but the gospel does not promise that healing will come today. The gospel doesn't promise that healing will always come if you have faith. There's those who will stand and will proclaim loudly that just like Jesus, they have the gift of healing. And if you come forward and you believe enough, or if you at least give them a good donation, they'll lay hands on you and then you can be healed. That's not at all what I'm claiming here this morning. What I am saying is that the gospel will heal you. But the primary healing you will experience today is the spiritual healing. That those of you who are dead in your sins through Christ, you can live again. And the healing that Jesus brings through his authority and his power as the Son of God and through the gospel, it is a foretaste and a foreshadowing of the healing that all of us will get to experience when he returns. There is healing on the gospel, and that healing is absolutely promised, but most of us will not taste it until Jesus returns or in the resurrection to come. But our God can choose to heal before then. That's why every week we gather, we pray for one another, and we ask that God would heal us. And sometimes he does, miraculously. We pray often saying, God, not your will, not our will, but yours. Because we believe that Jesus can heal us, and we believe that he will heal us, but we know that he might not do it today. But one day, all of us will go through a line, and Jesus' healing hands will touch you. So don't miss out on the wonder and the amazing gift that Jesus promises to give us because we're too impatient to wait for it. This gift of healing is worth waiting for. Because one day all sickness will be gone. One day all of our aches and pains will be no more. There will be no more long recovery or slow decay. We will all be healed and made new. Verse 41, And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them. And he wouldn't allow them to speak because he knew they were the Christ. So he continues to heal. He continues to cast out demons. And again, we'll see this over and over throughout the Gospel of Luke. The demons acknowledge him and they know who Jesus is. They know that the kingdom of God has come, and they see the king, the son of God, is here. And strangely, Jesus tells them to be quiet. He doesn't want them to tell people who he is. So why does Jesus tell them to be quiet? There's a bunch of different theological theories. I'm going to give you mine. Um, I don't think that Jesus tells them to be quiet because he's waiting to reveal who he is. He's already done that in his baptism and in other places. But I think part of this is Jesus showing us that none of these miracles are done to just drum up publicity. Jesus is not working some complicated marketing schedule. 
Jesus came to proclaim the good news. Jesus came to set the demon-possessed free. Jesus came to help the sick recover. He healed everyone who was sick because he loved them and he cared for them. And he would have done it even if they didn't tell a soul. In fact, John tells us at the end of his gospel, Jesus works so many miracles that we have never heard of. They would fill up all the books in the world. Jesus is not, I don't, certainly don't think he's hiding who he is. He's not denying his identity as the Messiah and the king of the kingdom that is coming. But the good news of the gospel, it comes in human form. It doesn't come in a press release. And Jesus doesn't come on a bullhorn to just tell everyone to bow down to him and worship him. He's the son of God. He comes and he heals. And he preaches the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel that heals the sick. Sometimes the gospel does its healing work now, but always it will heal later. But for now, our spiritual lives can be healed and be brought to life. So the gospel has all of that power. But I mean, is it limited? We might have to wait for it. But is there anywhere that it can't go? Your last point in your bulletin, point number three, is that the gospel has power even in desolate places. The gospel has power in desolate places. Jesus seems like he's had a pretty busy Sabbath. This really seems like it's all one day. It could be a, a number of Sabbaths. It's probably just one. But the next day comes, and so he goes to a desolate place. And why would Jesus do this? I think he does this because he wants to show us something about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is not local but universal. The power of the gospel is not limited but unlimited. The power of the gospel is not partial but complete. Look at 42. And when it was day, he departed. And he went into a desolate place, and the people sought him. And they came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving. They don't want Jesus to leave. You can understand that. I wouldn't want Jesus to leave either. He just preached the best sermon they probably ever heard, cast out all of the demons, and he healed everybody in town. I'd want him to stay forever. And what a contrast this is from last week in Nazareth. Nazareth couldn't wait to throw Jesus out of town. Capernaum is begging him to stay. And unlike Nazareth, Capernaum doesn't want Jesus to stay because they don't care about other towns. Their desire doesn't seem to be rooted in self-centeredness, but in faith. It's because of their belief. It's because of their faith in who Jesus is and their love for Jesus. They don't want him to go. They just want him to stay with them. And they would have kept him from leaving. It's not a violent action. Okay? They're not threatening to tie him up like in misery. They don't want to keep Jesus captive against his own will. They just want Jesus to know, hey, if it's up to us, we would rather you never leave and just stay here. But Jesus tells them he has to go. And notice what he leaves them for. Jesus doesn't leave them for a bigger place. You know, often preachers can sometimes treat churches like stepping stones. Okay, maybe they'll preach at a small conference or even pastor a small church, but really just doing it so I can wait for a little bit bigger one and a little bit bigger place until the next one that's bigger and bigger. Jesus doesn't make stops in Nazareth and Capernaum because he's trying to slowly build up his reputation. Jesus doesn't start in the small places so he can graduate to the big place in Jerusalem. Now, all of Luke is heading towards Jerusalem, but it's heading towards Jerusalem not because that's where the people are, but because that's where Calvary is and the cross. And Jesus goes to these places because he loves the people there, because he's coming to die to save the people there and to proclaim the good news of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't leave them for more important places. He actually leaves them for the desolate places. Sometimes the scriptures will tell us, we'll see this later, that Jesus goes to the desolate places to pray. He goes there in order to be refreshed and renewed. But here it seems like Jesus is going to the desolate places not to pray, but to preach. Not to be restored, but to restore. Not to rest, 
but to bring rest, to bring living water to the desert. 43, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was preaching to the synagogues of Judea. Jesus goes to the desolate places to preach to the other towns as well. He says, this is the purpose for why I have come to preach the good news. The good news of the kingdom of God. Verse 43, it's why I think this whole section is about the power of the gospel. It's about the beauty of the gospel, the wonder of the gospel, and the glory of the gospel. For I, was, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. Gospel, it quite simply means good news. And throughout Luke, we'll often see the gospel equated with the kingdom of God and all that it means. Too often when we think of the gospel, we, we only think it. It's too limited. We think of it just in terms of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And that is the gospel. That is part of the good news of the kingdom. But the gospel doesn't end there. There's much more to the gospel than that. There's much more to Jesus than that. The gospel is the best news of everything that Jesus has done and everything that Jesus is going to do too. And the best way to understand what does the gospel mean is to look at Jesus. And Jesus says, I've come to proclaim the good news of the gospel. He came not just to die, he also came to preach. And he preaches the good news of the kingdom. He preaches the good news that the kingdom is here to defeat evil and demons. Preaches the good news that the gospel has come to heal and restore everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden. And he comes here to preach the good news of the kingdom. It goes to every town, even those in desolate places. And it seems like Jesus goes to preach in every single synagogue throughout Judea. Now, I don't know about you, but I just, I, I love this picture of Jesus being willing to go to deserted, abandoned, long forgotten and desolate places to bring them the gospel. Another reason I love it, it's a reminder that nowhere is too far away from Jesus. There's nowhere place that Jesus is unwilling to go. There's no backwater village that Jesus doesn't care about. Jesus is the shepherd who leaves the 99 cities to go find the one person in a shack up on the hill and preach. Jesus always goes after lost sheep, every single one, and this attitude of Jesus does not make any sense to our modern world. If you go to a church planning um, strategy training, they'll tell you don't follow Jesus' strategy here. This is not wise. Okay, they'll tell you go and do some studies, take some surveys, Go find some populated areas, especially find an area that is exploding with people and it's growing and it's expanding and there's not enough churches there yet because you can plant a church there, you're just guaranteed to grow. It's easy. Just open your doors. In the eyes of the world, what Jesus does is foolish and reckless with his love and attention, but Jesus has a purpose and he knows why he came. He was sent to preach the gospel to every town, even those in desolate places. This reminds me of the children's movie, The Lion King. There's a point early in the film, right? Mufasa takes, he's the king lion, if you haven't seen it in a while. He takes his young son Simba up to a high place. Tells him to look out. Says, everywhere the light touches, that's our kingdom. Okay, but it's amazing, right? To look at the width and the breadth and the greatness of their kingdom. But Simba, being a young lion, and being astute, he looks out and he sees a place. It's covered in darkness. And he says, well, what about that shadowy place over there? His father warns him, well, no, no, that, that's beyond our borders. We, we don't go over there. But over here, the, the light, that's our kingdom. Okay, in the kingdom of God, there is no shadowy, desolate place. The sun shines on it all. 
And the Son of God visits all of his creation. There's no place that the darkness can hide. There's no place that the demons can flee. The gospel goes forth everywhere to the ends of the earth. This is why in the kingdom to come, when Jesus remakes the heaven and the earth, it says that we will need no sun because there will be no darkness. Revelations 21, 23, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, because the gospel will go forth even to the desolate places. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're stuck in a desolate place. You feel like you're stuck in a depression and you can't get out. Maybe there's situations in your life or with your family that feel completely devoid of life. Maybe you feel like an Israelite wandering through the wilderness or like Job suffering and longing for death. You feel like Jonah stuck in the whale at the bottom of a sea. Maybe you feel like the thief on the cross slowly dying, just longing for forgiveness. Wherever you are this morning, I want you to know the gospel goes to the most desolate places. And there is no one in this room that is too far gone for Jesus. Because Jesus comes with the gospel and with living water. He comes to bring resurrection and new life. And the gospel goes out not just to the desolate places of our world, but to the desolate places of your life, too. So come to Jesus. Come to the one who defeats evil. Come to the one who can heal all of your infirmities. Come to the one who can touch every place of your life and make it new. Because this is why he came, to preach the good news of the kingdom to every town. So the gospel, we see it has power over demons. Reminded the gospel has power to heal and the gospel has power in desolate places. If you're a Christian, I hope that you are encouraged this morning that no matter how powerful demons, sickness, or even the desert or evil look, remember that the gospel is one of the greatest powers in the universe and its power extends even to the darkest place because of our Savior Jesus. Invite our worship team to come up and lead us as, I, as we close in prayer. Lord, I, I ask that the power of the gospel would reverberate in this place. Lord, the gospel is not just something that we need to hear once before we come to faith in you. The gospel is something that we needed to be reminded about every week. We need to be reminded about every day. We need to be reminded of it every moment. Of your love for us, of your compassion of your kindness and your grace. Lord, there, there is nothing we can do. There is no work we can commit. There is no way we can make ourselves new, that we can heal ourselves, that we can fix ourselves, that we can cast out our demons. Only you can do it. And Lord, we, we throw ourselves at your feet. We ask that you would come even to the most desolate places of our lives that you would make us new, that you would warm our hearts again in the places they've grown cold, and you would fill us with a wonder, glory, and amazement at you and at your gospel. And we pray this all in your holy, your most precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing songs for our wonderful Savior once more. The Lamb is holy. Our benediction this month is from Romans 15, 13. And it says, may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace and believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Abound in hope this week. God bless you. Go in peace.